Welcome to Friars and Film. We are three Catholic priests from the Order of Preachers, and we're here, as always, to talk about the movies. We are talking today about Wild Strawberries from Ingmar Bergman, Father Timothy and Father Allen. I, f- I feel like we've been destined, fated to review this movie ever since we started this podcast because uh, the very first one that we did was Bergman's The Seventh Seal. And of course, that, uh, in, in my opinion, the best scene of that movie is the one in which they eat wild strawberries. And I think we... Uh, noted the fact that he has a film called Wild Strawberries in that conversation and decided then and there that we would eventually watch it. So here we are. As it happens, this is a film which was actually made the exactly same year as The Seventh Seal, 1957. Um, So that's just interesting in terms of a workload uh, fact for Bergman at that time. But what, what it also means is that he releases two films in the same year, which, in my opinion, are both about the same big question, which is what are you going to do with the fact that you're going to die? They're both about death. They're both about somebody looking death in the face. And uh, it's Bergman seemingly wrestling with the question of death. I was then curious, like, okay, He's he's so interested in thinking about death right now in this year of 1957. You know, why is that? How old is he at this point? Um, Apparently, he was only 39 years old, though, when he's making these movies about death. And he wouldn't die for another 50 years. So he had more than half of his life still to live. Um, He died only in uh, 2007. Um, so relatively recently, but he, in, in that, in that year of him, of his, uh, his 39th year on this earth. Yeah. He was thinking about death a lot, I guess. And I guess that's maybe where we can start, which is just, yeah. Would, would the two of you agree with me that, that, that this film is, is really, um, focusing in on death and that that is maybe the biggest theme that it, that it, that connects it with the seventh seal. It seems like they might give two different answers. So if they're both raising the same question in basically the same year, does he give two different answers? And there certainly are death motifs, and, and the theme is there. You know, so at the beginning, there's the coffin. There's a there's a kind of final judgment. There's the the imagery of him going to sleep at the end of a day, which is you know it's a very long day, and and so you could think of your whole life as like a day, and death is like sleep. So certainly, death is there. I think, too, you're, it's a good question, Father Luke. You know, what is he doing as a 39-year-old with this theme? But I, I, I'm not trying to be overly personal, but I think I've thought more about death in my 30s than in my 20s, you know? I think that question visits more because your parents are getting older or friends have died by then, at least some of them. My only addition to your comments would be that compared to The Seventh Seal, this plot questions death by wrestling with the past— 
rather than wrestling with the present. I think the present moment was so chaotic during the during the plague in Seventh Seal that it's all about present survival, present company. Whereas here, it's more reminiscent of reviewing one's life. And I, we could talk about how he reviews his life, but I do think that's a major... It's a whole different way of wrestling with the question. Mm-hmm. With this one, I, I thought it was... Uh, I just loved noticing the, all the multi-layered ways in which death sort of came about as a question. I mean, like you mentioned, Father Allen, it starts off with him uh, having that dream about the coffin in which his own corpse is there in the coffin and the corpse you know, grabs his own hand. Uh, the watch, the, the, or rather, the clock has stopped, and then later on in the film, you know, again he finds this watch in his in his mother's house, which is also stopped. So it's just the, you know raising the question of, gosh, you know, at, at some point my own clock is going to stop. Uh, as a doctor, did you notice what what it is that he specializes in? He specializes in in bacteriology. <laughs> <laughs> so the the idea of uh, you know just the question of bacteria, both living and dying. Um, and then, of course, when he does visit his mother, you know, there's uh, the, the the woman who's with him, his daughter-in-law. You know, she's struck by wow. Uh, she's thinking more about spiritual death uh, when she meets the mother. You know, the, the, so I forget the daughter-in-law's name, but when she sees the mother, you know, that's what she's struck by. She's like, wow, um, it's possible to be living and yet dead ultimately and of course she's she's even holding this doll with her uh during that conversation with the mother which is a very kind of creepy sort of haunted house uh little twist uh little visual uh thing that that bergman does but ultimately what it suggests to the viewer is that yeah like the doll which appears to be alive um this 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 woman um the mother the 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 the, the mother of uh the protagonist she is also seemingly alive but kind of dead and it ultimately raises the question as we watch this protagonist um okay you know is is he alive or is he dead and i think that that both the seventh seal and this film they ultimately answer the question of nearing death in kind of a similar the similar way which is this which is that they both give the answer that okay if you want to prepare to die you have to somehow have your relations with others healed. And so the knight in the seventh seal manages to do that by giving his life for the sake of his family. Um, and that's how he's able to make peace with the world before he dies, make peace with his maker before he dies. Um, or at least that's the suggestion that's given. And then similarly here, um, this, this fellow, he has to make peace with the other people in his life, just by simply revisiting them within his own heart, with his own soul, within his dreams. And it's by um, making that peace with them that, that he's able to then be prepared for uh, meeting his maker, at least theoretically. That's the suggestion, I think. I was wondering if, if either of you had any thoughts on just why is the film called Wild Strawberries? Well, I'll answer that in a moment, but I wanted to have a brief halftime show because we've talked a lot about death. So I want to introduce a little fun and games. The first is that I'm being moved soon to uh, New Hampshire to serve as a priest, and this is big, wild strawberry country. Actually, oh midsummer. God. Really? Yeah, so I invite both of you formally and on air. If you want some wild <laughs> strawberries this summer, come up to my zone, my Green Mountain, White Mountain, whatever zone. Um, okay. That, ex- that actually is true. And then the second thing, too, we also should mention hitchhiking because... I wanted to kind of ask some personal. Have you guys ever put out the thumb? You ever done that? 
In this day and age, it's it's getting rare. Hey, so yeah. I have um, only twice in my life, but one of those was in New Hampshire. Check it out. So, yeah. I think it, by yourself or with other people? or My brother and I were hiking the Appalachian Trail in the White Mountains, and uh, we had our course was all messed up by a snowstorm in the middle of June on the presidential range, White Mountains. And uh, so we found ourselves down on the road and had to... Or really, really wanted to skip a few miles. <laughs> so, and 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 this this uh, person just picked us right up. I mean, there. I think around the Appalachian Trail, people are pretty used to uh, to hikers. Wow. And I, I actually, you didn't hitchhike with me, but I picked you up at the end of that trip, right? Yeah, you did. You did. Yeah. That's right. That's, That's right. right. That was an arranged hitchhike. Right. And what I about also the second time. Um, you know what? It's funny. All that I, the only reason why I'm convinced that I did it a second time is that I remember hitchhiking in New Hampshire and being like, oh, so now I've done this twice. But now that you've put me on the spot, Father Allen, I really just cannot remember what the heck that first time was. But I'm, I think okay. it was there somewhere. <laughs> uh, Father Timothy, have you hitchhiked? Yeah, I, I, I've hitchhiked up in Alaska because it's, it's uh, not as, well, I don't know if it's not as dangerous. I was told it wasn't as dangerous. My brother and I did this uh, many times. We wound up at bluegrass festivals. We wound up at this, like, professional dog sledding headquarters. Really, actually, we, we also wound up in the car with a guy who was recently released um, from 30 years in jail after con- committing some felonies. But he was, like, 79 years old. So it's really... I would say it's as risky and exciting as it's rumored to be. <laughs> um, Father Allen, never you're you're not, you're shaking your head. Never have. Well, I mean, because that's what leads up to this whole. I mean, the only strawberry scene in the film is when he's hitchhiking, and you know, you have the first group. What is it? Sarah is the girl's name that gets, and she's the famous actress mm-hmm. from the mm-hmm. same uh, from Seventh Seal. So he yeah. he he reminisces on his like early sweetheart in life how they had gathered strawberries i think it's funny too the the swedish i mean it's funny because i'm probably immature and overly american but the title is not wild strawberries the title is uh smultron stalet and that means like strawberry patch but i guess that's also a phrase it's not just picking strawberries it's kind of like a perfect place a garden of eden etc i mean Mm -hmm. I guess the way in this movie that comes up is he's looking back at, you know, teenage romance and those days of carefree timelessness. And, I mean, I don't know anybody who isn't at times caught up in that in at least thinking back. I mean, that's nostalgia, right? Mm-hmm. And that can differ. For yeah. me, it's for me, it's Lake Michigan. It's not Sweden. For Father Luke, it's Lake Michigan, too, where he would vacation. For Father Allen, it's probably out there on Lake <laughs> Charles, some sort of houseboat. <laughs> Some sort of barbecue in sure. the bayou. Um, I don't know. Yeah. Now, maybe I'm wrong about this, but nostalgia has kind of a negative connotation because it's like almost a waste of time or something or an escapism. But I think at least in this film, it's presented positively as almost something like an examination of conscience or the strawberry patches is, is like a, an anchor for him. It's kind of a monument in his life that he understands everything with reference to. 
you know, that was a good time, and he compares good times after that. It represents the beginning of his life, but it's probably also an image of the of what he hopes uh, his life will be like. Let me give you one thing, though. I, I think nostalgia can be negative. You're trapped in the past and not living realistically. I Maybe this is accurate, maybe it's not at all, but I remember a woman who was in hospice, and I was visiting her, and she was just drawing, she, she, you know, we were talking about heaven, she had received her sacraments, all these things, her family surrounding her, but she just said, she goes, heaven's going to have an ocean, and I'm going to have a great beach chair, and that's how it's going to be. Now, she's drawing upon, like, her best memories, you know, but actually, like, that giving her peace while facing death, I don't think nostalgia is just false. I do think we yeah. can take some of the happiest memories of our life and those, I, I would just say this simply, theologically, those things are good, and God, who is good, made those good things, and he has good things in the new heavens and the new earth. I think there's a real proper role of God speaking his goodness through, mm-hmm. through you know, and sometimes we see it more looking back. Sometimes we're so close to life that uh, to fully appreciate it uh, takes the passing of time. Yeah. And I feel like the wild strawberries, um, that there's something about, about them that, um, I think they speak to him and perhaps to everybody, um, about, uh, they speak to us of gratuitous goodness. <laughs> you know, I mean, if you're walking in those New Hampshire, uh, mountains and you stumble upon a patch of wild strawberries to me with that, what that communicates to the person who stumbles upon them is like, oh my goodness, what an unexpected, undeserved unmerited gift. It's just simply given to me. I, I didn't search for these. Um, and I think, and therefore I think that, that putting those at the center of the film, they perhaps bespeak just the whole attitude that with which we're invited to rethink of our, our whole life. Um, and, and therefore him by him revisiting this wild strawberry patch, he's able to revisit his whole childhood and just suddenly sort of re- remember the fact that, I mean, just his whole life uh, from childhood on has just been a, a sheer gift. And especially as a child, as a, as a youth, as an adolescent, um, in which things are just simply put into your lap, so to speak, whether it's the love of your life or um, your, your, your family or, or the, the love that your family gives to you. Um, it's just simply, simply handed to you. And um, it's, it's through his uh, returning to the gratuitous reality of human existence and of all created existence that he is then able to um, enter into a true uh, and authentic posture with which he's then able to meet his own his own creator i i also just think it's there's something striking i mean just to return to the hitchhiking thing you know why is it that hitchhiking is uh frowned upon today well it's because it can again be it can be risky you can uh you can you're bringing someone into your your very confined space um or you are as a, as a hitchhiker putting yourself into a very confined space where you don't know how this other how this other person is going to behave towards you right and so um but what that I think indicates is just that, yeah, to to allow someone else into your life is always some kind of a risk. And there's um, some way in which I think he had, he Isaac has been living his life, which is 
um, in a sense, just closed off to others. He's been able to to live his life in a way that in which he gets pretty much everything that he wants, and he um, punishes those who don't give him what he wants, and he's and he carefully makes sure that everybody you know suits his own preferences. He's only living with that his one housekeeper, so he's really kind of all alone. He's shut off from the world. He's shut off from others. He's shut off, it would seem, from God. But then that that one little act of allowing this this group of hitchhikers into his car it's like look what that unfolds for him it's like suddenly just encountering especially this this young woman but also her two friends they they kind of pierce him in some way they jostle him in some way such that his thoughts um go into unexpected and ultimately very fruitful places and i think that's that's something which i think i've definitely experienced um and that, but that all of us experience of uh, just the wonderful way in which being letting ourselves be vulnerable to the intrusion, so to speak, of other people can be um, a soul-saving uh, event for us. And like both films, Seven Seal, that happens during travel. I think, you know, you don't have to be deeply religious at all to agree that you kind of get opened up to the world and other people just by the fact that you're traveling, you know. Mm-hmm. I, th- I think that's I think that's true, and that's a clever device where he uses sort of letting people into the car. It's letting the world into his car in some ways. And But it, it's interesting, too, how... I mean, that's also a psychological feature of how his memories are triggered by people that are strangers, you know, but they, they always remind him of... I mean, I, I just think that's also true to life, is new people remind us of old people we're constantly comparing. I wanted to say, I know this is kind of like digging too much into this point, but this whole thing of reflecting, nostalgia, memory, um, a little linguistic thing I remember picking up while reading uh, Greek New Testament was that even that word for reading in Greek, this like struck me years ago, where the word to read is actually the word anaginosko. Ginosko is like to know. And even just the basic word for reading is to know again. And memory has that whole sort of notion too of going over things is to know over and over again your past. So I, I know it can be a trap, but I mean, God gave us memories, you know, for this sort of for this purpose, I think to know more deeply. I just, I, I'm, I'm actually, I think that's a very structural part of our lives. Not just oh, sometimes we slip into memories, and God can use that. I think this is like a key part of being human. And he, and he goes through, I mean, his bitter marriage too in his memory. And so, yeah, to to me, it just raises lots of good questions about memory. Anyway, yeah, that's interesting. I, I, I think next to nostalgia and forgiveness is the theme of childlikeness. You know, there's something about being a child that enables you to forgive. And not because, you know, children can't be vengeful, but because they don't know how deep resentments can get. They're much more likely to to move on and to have a levity about them. I don't know how, how childlikeness relates to memory. Can anybody think? I feel like there's some kind of connection there, but I can't really... I would say in some ways, too, like they're bound together, but they can be a little inaccurate, you know? I mean, I, I can remember helpfully some of my earliest memories of going to church or of thinking of Christ or of my parents or of my siblings, but I also I also remember things that that are selective. Like, I, I, we, ju- we just had a baptism. I remember this. You're talking about adults hold grudges for years and years. Yeah, yeah. Whereas children, maybe they just, like, glide along more easily. We just had right. a baptism last weekend, 
And there was this little kind of outdoor party, and there were three little girls, and their moms were kind of talking about them because as they were coloring and eating cake, they probably in the course of a half an hour like fought with each other and then were best friends and then were bitter enemies <laughs> and then were best friends. There was a lot yeah. of uh, – there was a lot of back and forth, and they just kind right. of forgot. I, I do think we tend to remember like strong, vivid, and usually good things from childhood, but – um. Yeah, I, I mean, cer- certainly that married couple that they pick up cannot forgive. I mean, you don't want to reduce forgiveness to forgetfulness, but they, they can do neither. You know, so they're kind of stuck in this inability to uh, they're like the opposite of, of that kind of childish forgetfulness. Yeah. And I know I know people, too, you know, in my own family who, ha- you know, like just something like I remember my mom had gotten stuck in an elevator once as a child and like my mom will not take elevators if she has the choice today mm-hmm. so I mean vivid good and bad can remain with us but I don't know the role in all of that I think it's probably something more about the brain than it is necessarily I mean children don't have a lot of memories but our memories are of ourselves as children being a child is somewhat poignant but only when you're an adult I don't know. Something interesting about that. Um, you know, it's it's funny that. Oh, sorry. I don't want to cut. No, you off. go ahead. Go ahead. But uh, it's just speaking of all this, I'm, I'm remembering that the actual the the last words that he really says before he uh, in his in, in the present, right? So the film is always going from the present to his dreams or to his past. But the last words that he says in the present um, in the movie are "I'll remember." Right. Uh, you remember the girl whispers, yeah, whispers up to the window. She says, I, I, I love you and you alone. And, uh, and he says, I'll remember. And, uh, and I think there's a real way in which maybe, I mean, just thinking about, yeah, continuing to think about memory, um, just that all of us need to go back to the past to let ourselves be, be healed in various ways, to let go of the grudges, to let resentments be healed, to let wounds be healed. Um, and so, I mean, one th- we always stress, I feel like as Christians, uh, the present, because there's something spe- very important to remain in the present moment. Um, but in addition to that, there's, there's, I think, also just a real way in which all of us, perhaps, when we come to the end of our days, uh, have to begin to revisit the past to allow ourselves to, to, to be healed um, in various ways or to give healing um, in, in, in some way. And it can be a device, you know, he's an old man, and it's true that old men tell a lot of stories, which is why I like hanging out with them. Um, mm-hmm. But, I mean, it, it comes in different times of life. I think when people are falling in love initially, they share a lot of stories from childhood. I think even when we entered the novitiate, you know, our first year where we all met, maybe you had a different experience, but that was the first time I had stopped and lived sort of a paced, prayerful life in, in well over a decade and it was also a year with a lot of memories, like rushing back over, because you actually had space to think, you know. So I, I, I don't well, think it's yeah. just facing death as an old man. I think memory is this sort of, at certain chapters, it's like one of the key activities. Mm-hmm. That, that I think Christ were created with on purpose by God, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the other kind of interesting mental thing is he has these dreams that are almost revelations, they're partially memory, but the judgment sequence is really kind of fantastic. I mean, it's about the future. It's a kind of foreshadowing of some kind of judgment. So that's kind of a, the, the opposite of memory. 
I, I love that 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 dream. I think the hearse dream, I think, is sort of the, the famous dream from this movie. But that that judgment examination is just just wonderful because it just feels yeah. like such a dream. And it, it seems and I love so the real. way I love the way that the uh, the people like 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 the examiner, of course, is the is the the guy who was you yeah know, the, the 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 husband of the married couple. He picked up and then he looks and sees the other people who are in the seats who are also witnessing the examination. Those are also the hitchhikers, right? And there's um, I mean that's just the way that dreams work. We have random people filling various random roles in our dreams. But in addition to that, I think that that's that's like a beautiful fact, which is that at our individual uh, particular judgment we will be judged so to speak firstly of course just just simply by by christ by god but in a sense uh the other people who have who who have been a part of our lives will be our judges in a sense you know witnessing and testifying to what we have or have not done and uh so yeah no i love that that little dream i i love how he he's having difficulties in the very sphere in which he is an expert namely the academic sphere. You know, he just can't get any of the answers right. He's probably never felt this way in an exam, you know. Exactly. And then the guy says, right, he says, you've been found lacking in the one thing which, you know, you what you need to know, which is to to forgive. And he says, you are guilty of guilt. Isn't that it? Something like oh, that. Oh, that's right. Yeah, he that, says that, that was pretty, that's that was right. pretty potent, that's too. Right. Sorry for the hammering. We have some construction going on in the house. It's got to happen. I also, I mean, I think this is just a fun phrase, but I don't understand Swedish culture, and I've never visited, but it seems like these are very beautiful, very existential people. (laughs) Maybe it's just the movies we watch. Maybe it's Bergman, but... Sure. Do they just walk around with blonde hair and existential doubts through their meadows every summer? That's kind of the impression (laughs) I'm getting. Maybe we just have to watch more films to find out and i would say the same thing too of Kristen lovren's daughter you know the the norwegian trilogy book it's just there's something there's something cultural especially of death and maybe probably a severe climate up there that's right can i say something negative about this movie sure Please. please okay so he has the little dispute between the two young men between the the rationalist and the romantic who's potentially a minister and and the older man demurs when they appeal to him to resolve the dispute. And I think that in this movie, there's a promotion of something like agnosticism and or vague deism, where God is there or or creation exhibits the creator or, or something. But you don't want to get too explicit. You don't want to get too committal when it comes to a particular doctrine. And I think that that was backed up by the portrayal of the church and the ritual at the end. Because I think the ritual is portrayed as sort of unreal. So this is his public honor ceremony. He's going to be sort of feted in this church. But the rest of the film, which is a more interior look and a more intimate look at this man's soul and his action in his life, shows up the fact that he's not entirely honorable, that he has a lot of things to ask forgiveness for. And so I think that the, the church and the ritual are sort of, they're made to represent the unreal, the merely formal and the basically empty. Now, th- so that's just something that I, as a priest and as a Christian, want to take issue with, because I think that actually in Christianity, ritual and the church are supposed to be places of hyper-reality, and not just sort of external forms. 
that point is, is very very well taken, and I think it's it's probably spot on, um, especially from remembering the way in which the church is portrayed in like the seventh seal, right? It's again kind of in this very caricatured, empty kind of way. That said, on this film's own terms, I mean, just so correct me if I'm wrong, but so that happens in a church, but it is a purely academic ritual, right? So I, yeah, I feel like yeah. this film may be saying a lot more about a- academia than than about religion per se, right? Or were, were there any churchmen, you know, present in that ritual? I don't remember, but I mean... But just the fact I, I that think, it takes place in a church, you're saying? Yeah. I mean, I think there is a critique of um, scientism and kind of dry academic life, but it's in tandem with a critique of romantic Christianity, I think. Because, mm. the, you know, the, the other young man is, is a potential minister, and the, the older, wizened man, the man who's sort of figuring everything out about forgiveness and being childlike, declines to, to choose between the two. He he wants to move beyond that dispute and say actually there's a there's a, a broader you know level of reality where mm-hmm. the where this dispute doesn't matter anymore mm-hmm. and see I, I think it would be better if in addition to forgiving everyone in his life every human being he also thought about asking forgiveness from God mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, because you know and it makes so much sense I mean you're approaching death why wouldn't you turn to the person you were about to encounter with whom you have always been and, you know, try to finish this round of asking forgiveness. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, no, again, I think that that, that is fair. Um, I, for, for me, as a Christian, I probably just sort of project the fact that God is behind um, all of his those investigations and that by making peace with others, he's able to prepare for making peace with God. Um, but no, but you're absolutely right that that, you know, Bergman himself does not really give any presentation of that. And, and yeah, so, and then it's, again, when you couple this with how he presents things in the seventh seal, it is, yeah, it is probable that he's emphasizing just sort of the humanistic uh, dimension of one's soul and not, not looking necessarily up to the creator, um, or at least in a, in a somewhat indirect and, and more sort of agnostic way. Stories told in a land where only the shell of Christianity remains. How's that for ending the episode? (laughs) Start the music. Well, we can indeed end up. I I just want to uh, mention one tiny little entertaining thing, which is that apparently the actor who played Isaac, um, he was 78 years old when he did this, and he was like, Really, I'm I'm too old to act in movies anymore. I really don't think this is a good idea. And apparently, what Bergman told him was, "Look, all you have to do is lie under a tree, eat wild strawberries, and think about your past." Okay, it's not it's nothing very arduous. <laughs> so, um, but apparently, things continued to be a little bit difficult on the set, and uh, but things got all my, all way way better when they've changed filming times so that um, uh, the fellow who plays Isaac could get home in time for his customary whiskey at 5 o'clock. Anyway, very entertaining. All right, uh, Father Alan, what are, we, what are we watching next Oh, time? what are we watching? La Gato Pardo. It's a... Come uh, again? Um, can you, can you repeat it's, that? It's the leopard. Uh, it's, a, it's the leopard. It's a, a movie from the 60s about an aristocrat in the 1860s in Sicily and it's in Italian so buckle up based on a novel which someone gifted me 
our own friar uh, Ephraim Reese, but I have yet to read oh. it. He said there's a lot of uh, Italian lethargy lounging around on couches, so we have that to look <laughs> forward to in the hot, hot sun of summer, which is coming our way. Excellent. Okay. Until the next time. Ciao. Let me take you down, cause I'm going to Strawberry Fields. Nothing is real. And nothing to get hung about. Strawberry Fields forever. Living is easy with eyes.